One of my favorite times I've ever heard this preached is I had just become a youth pastor and I got to go to this youth conference. My pastor sent me up to Arkansas, this Lighthouse Baptist Church, and I had this preacher, his name was Tim Rule, and he preached out of this. And he was telling stories about him growing up, how he was this kid, he was in an abusive family. His dad would, would beat on him and his little brother and his, and his mom. And he said he would go to school. People would make fun of him because he'd be wearing these torn up and, and uh, smelly clothes. And he said he'd just sit there by himself. And nobody wanted to pay any attention to him. And he talked about how, how he was in this awful place in his life with no hope, no direction. And literally got to the place where his... Father went, they, they, they got out at night, they wound up leaving the house in the night so the dad wouldn't. Well, the dad wound up tracking him down, uh, tracking them down. And the mama was working in this place and they said, my dad took my mama's life right outside of her work and then killed himself. And he goes on to this past, he said, you have no idea what people are going through in life. People can be mean, but most of the time, hurting people hurt people. We're going to look at a man who was sitting here without any hope. And he was at the one place he should be able to find hope. He was at the temple of God. If anybody can find hope, church, it should be with the people of God. Look what it says right here. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them into the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day. God, I ask, Lord, that your spirit is present here with us today. I ask, Father, that you are starting revival in this country. That you'll bless Pastor Marvin as he's away preaching, Father. That people will hear the gospel and be cut in their heart, Father, and come to know Jesus. That your people, God, who are called by your name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways. That you may heal our land and forgive our sin, Lord. Do something great in this service today, God. Do something great in the services across this country today. I pray, Father, that many will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That many of your people, Father, who have fallen away, God, who may be sleeping spiritually, will awake, Father, and see, God, that now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Use me, Father, mightily. I pray, Father, that you would take away all fear, for perfect love casteth out fear. 
For you have not given us the spirit of fear, Lord, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that power is the gospel of Jesus. Use me, Father, in in, uh, your name. I pray, Father, that you will just speak to us in the way that we need. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. First of all, we see the moment here. It was the ninth hour, which is three o'clock. Now, Matthew Henry says this. He says it was also the time of the the evening Tamid, one of the two sacrifices held daily in the temple. These had become prescribed times of prayer, and people would come to the temple at the sacrifice times to observe the ceremony and pray. The largest crowds would thus have been found at the time of sacrifice, as Peter and John must have been well aware, for they went to the temple for prayer and for witness. And I thought about this. You know, they knew where the people were. See, what had previously just happened is they had experienced Pentecost. The Spirit had come down. God had anointed the disciples. They were healing the sick. I mean, listen, they could raise the dead. They could cast out spirits. They were doing some great things for God. And chapter 2 ends with 3,000 souls getting saved in a church service. Amen? God was doing something. Here was timid Peter who was afraid to take a stand for God. All of a sudden taking a stand and preaching the gospel mightily in the name of Jesus Christ. I love that Peter and John are walking together. And they're going to this time of prayer. Three times a day the Israelites would go to the temple for prayer. I wonder how many times we pray during the week. How many times do we get upon our knees and think about Pastor Marvin and start praying for him? I'm going to tell you you guys what. Ministry can be tough sometimes. Your pastor needs your prayers. As a youth pastor, you know what I'm going to tell you? Brother Sam and Miss Hannah, they need your prayers. I mean, it's not getting better. It's getting rougher to, to minister to people. I mean, these people need your prayer. Brother Jonathan needs your prayers. We need to pray for each other. We need to lift each other up in this this prayer. God said, my house would be a house of prayer. Isaiah 56, 7, he says, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. In Matthew 21, they walk in, Jesus walks into the temple, expected to see a house of prayer, and you know what? They're using it for usury. They're, they're making money off of the people of God when they're coming to worship God. And he starts throwing the money changers over, and he quotes from this very verse that says, You have made my house a den of thieves. He says, My house is not to be that. It's to be a house of prayer. This is the place we should be able to come. The one thing I've seen in ministry... I mean, listen, for for years, listen, I I grew up in a time when when the invitation happened and the altars were full, not just of people getting saved, they were full of people of God praying for their country, praying for their pastor, praying for their people. And today I tell you, I get to preach all these different places. And you know what's one thing they all have in common? Nobody goes to the altar anymore. Well, Brother Josh, I can pray in my seat. You can pray in your seat. But there's just something about humbling ourselves in prayer to God, coming down and, and meeting together. And I'm not trying to make you guilty, like you, you don't, maybe you don't come to the altar. But listen, if there's something in you, like, well, I just don't feel like walking. I don't feel like taking those steps. You know what? God wants to do something. But he says those words in, in Chronicles. Humble yourselves and pray. My house was to be a house of prayer. The ninth hour, that is three o'clock in the afternoon, was one of the hours of prayer among the Jews. Nine in the morning and twelve at noon were the other two. 
according to Psalms 55 and Daniel 6. It is of use for private Christians so far to have their hours of prayer as may serve. Though not to bind, yet to remind conscience. Everything is beautiful in its season. John MacArthur said the ninth hour was also the time of the evening sacrifice when the daily temple uh, crowds would be at the peaks. They knew where the people were going to be, and that's why they came to the temple at this hour. Because Peter and John knew they could, they could speak to their people about Jesus. See, because their, 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 uh, their sacrifice was all in vain because the one true sacrifice had already come and they didn't believe. Be faithful in prayer, Christians. Psalms 55, 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. We need to be faithful in our prayer. One of my favorite stories is Jacob who wrestled with Jesus. You remember that? He was wrestling with Jesus. Jesus touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and it came out of place. And he said, let go of me. And he says, I'm not going to let you go. Not until you bless me. We need to be faithful in prayer, Christians. If it's important to us, why do we give up so much? Well, I guess that's just not God's will. It might not be. But maybe it is. Maybe he just wants to see how important it is to you. We need to be faithful in prayer. Faithful to pray for the souls. I think about this all the time when, I, when I'm driving and I, and I see somebody on a Sunday doing their yard or, or just, they're, they're just going to the store or something. I think, I wonder if that person knows Jesus. And the, mo- the, like, the, the best thing that we can do is pray for that person that they have an opportunity to hear the gospel. We need to be persistent in our prayer. You know what that word persistent really means? Stubborn. Be stubborn. You guys are Baptist. we got to be like the most stubborn people in the world. shouldn't be hard for us to want something from God and keep asking Him for it. It's like your kid wanting a popsicle. He keeps coming up and asking. Like, no, no. And eventually you give it to him because he won't quit asking. Same thing is with God. Ask. Be stubborn in your prayer. In Daniel chapter 6 verse 10, they told Daniel he couldn't pray anymore. You know what Daniel did? He kept praying. Listen to this. Daniel 6, 10, he says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem. That was a commandment that God had given them. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. It never changed what he was supposed to be doing for God. Even when they wrote a law. One day they're going to make a law where we can't come here and worship God. Are you going to obey man or are you going to obey God? Be stubborn in your prayer life. Pray. Pray for these wicked leaders we have running our country right now. Be stubborn. Have God do something. Let God do it. Let him get the glory. I had the story. I don't know who the writer is on. But I thought it was great because growing up, I really did, I stuck, I, I, I saw, what do you call it, struggled with my prayer life. And I read this story one day when I was studying this passage and I found it, I want to say I found it on Google, and it was so good. It's called An Empty Chair. It says a, man daughter, a man's daughter had asked the local pastor to come and pray with her father. When the pastor arrived, he found the man lying in bed with his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. The priest assumed that the old fellow had been informed of his visit. I guess you were expecting me, he said. Now, who are you? Well, I'm the new associate pastor at your local church. When I, when I saw the empty chair, I figured you knew I was going to show up. 
Oh, yeah, the chair, said the, uh, the bedridden man. Would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, the pastor turned and shut the door. I never told anyone this, not even my daughter, said the man. But all of my life, I have never known how to pray. At church, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it went right over my head. I abandoned any attempt at prayer. The old man continued until one day, about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. Here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith see Jesus on the chair. It's not spooky because he promised I will be with you always, even until the ends of the earth. Then just speak to him and listen in the same way you're doing with me right now. So I tried it, and I've liked it so much that I do it a couple of hours every day. I'm careful, though, if my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me to the funny farm. (laughs) The pastor was deeply moved by the story and encouraged the old man to continue on his journey. Then he prayed with him, and he returned to the church. I like this part right here. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the pastor that her daddy had died that afternoon. Did he seem to die in peace, she asked, or he asked? Yes, when I left the house around 2 o'clock, he called me over to his bedside, told me one of his corny jokes, and kissed me on my cheek. When I got back from the store an hour later, I found that he had died. But there was something strange, in fact, beyond strange, kind of weird. Apparently, just before Daddy died, he leaned over and he rested his head on the chair beside his bed. Isn't that good? That man had a relationship with God in prayer. We can have the same. We act like it's so hard and we have to speak so holy to talk to God. But you know, God hears us, church, when we pray. This man, no doubt, was, was hoping for, to receive something great. And he received something better than he could have ever asked for. Better than money, better than silver and gold. Next we see the man, look at verse number 2. It says, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. He couldn't even walk. Which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. You know what I believe the man saw? I believe when he looked up at Peter and John with that hope that they were going to do something. That they just give him something that he could just live off of. I think he saw the love of Christ in Peter and John's eyes. It's so hard for us, even as Christians, sometimes when a beggar comes up and asks for money. My wife and me were talking about it. We see him on the side of the road around where we live. And she says, why do they do that? And she says, why, why, I mean, why, why does this just happen? I told her, I said, you know, Jesus said we would always have the homeless with us. And we can show kindness to them or we can look at them with disgust. The point is, is Peter and John didn't look at this person with disgust. They looked at him with love and compassion. And Peter desired to help him. And I believe John had the same desire of this man. The condition of this man. He was poor and a lame beggar at the temple gate. They said they would carry the crippled man and lay him at the gate. He couldn't even walk. I remember growing up having someone in my family who was lame from their birth. You ever seen their legs? They don't look right. They're all shriveled and like small and they're, they, they just don't, don't fit the body because the person can't walk. There's no strength. There's no muscle in them. So this miracle was something great because when they heal this man, all of a sudden he receives that strength. Matthew Henry said he was a cripple, not by accident, 
not by accident, but born so. He was lame from his mother's womb, as it, as it should seem, by a paralytic distemper which weakened his limbs. For it is said in the description of his cure, his feet and ankle bones received their strength. Acts 4.22 says the man was above 40 years old, been crippled all his life, and this miracle happened. And this miracle happened because God was going to show that he had the power to heal him. Did God do this because the man was sinful? No, he did it to show the power of God. They would ask Jesus when he did something. They said, what, who sinned, this man's father or his mother? He said, neither sinned. He said, this was done that the power of God could be shown. When God did miracles in the Bible, it, they were surrounded by non-believers. And they realized who the true God was. And that's why God did it. The compassion on the man. Silver and gold have I none. These guys weren't rich. They were fishermen. Hey, I don't have any money to give you. But you know what? Such as I have, divide to thee. Christians, you might not have silver and gold to give somebody. You might not have the means to bless them financially, but guess what you do have? You have the means to bless them spiritually. With your testimony, with Scripture, with the witness that there is a greater hope than this world. And it is Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel that he came, he died, and he rose again. We have the greatest gift to give. Why do we hold it to ourselves? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to thee. James 2.15 says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. That's a powerful verse, church. Faith without works is dead. Many who are well inclined to work to do works of charity are yet not in a capacity of doing anything considerable, while others who have wherewith to do much have not a heart to do anything. Acts 20, verse 35 says, I have, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We need to have mercy, church. When we look upon our fellow man, we should have mercy on them, seeing that they need what we have. Peter and John had mercy. They had love and compassion for this poor lame man who was laying there at the gate day by day, above 40 years old. There's no telling how long he was there. As I, as I, as I considered this, I began to think about how many of those people passed by and didn't do anything. They had no compassion on him. They wouldn't even give him the money. They wouldn't even look at him. They said the beggar, as, as they were passing by, he was looking down. He didn't even, he didn't even have the, the pride to even look up. He was looking at their feet as they passed by and just holding his hand up, hoping to receive something. We need to see people where they are, church. The Bible says money is the root of all evil. Or the love of money is the root of all evil. We need to have hope in Jesus and not in our finances. We need to do good with what we have. In Leviticus, it says, Thou shalt not... Avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. But then he says something else in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, if you want to look there with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. 
says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to, the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than the others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven perfect. He says it's not enough to love your neighbor, to love your friends, to love the, the fellow church members. He says, but love those who persecute you. You know what that means? We have to love those who hate us because we're Christians. He tells us to love them, to do good to them, to pray for them, to give them that hope. Listen, we we have to love those who don't. Love us. That means we have to love President Biden, guys, and pray for him. That means we have to love these politicians who would love to see Christianity stomped out, who probably would literally persecute us if they thought they could get away with it. We're to love them, we're to pray for them, and we're to preach to them. The Bible does say love each other, and in Galatians 6, 9 he says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if ye faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know what the world loves? The world loves it when the church fights amongst each other. How many churches you see split because we can't get along? Maybe you don't agree with Brother Sam. Maybe you don't agree with Brother John. Maybe you don't agree with Brother Marvin. But you know what? We shouldn't be splitting up because of that and fighting amongst each other. The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. We should love those people. Try to, try to communicate and, and, and uh, talk to each other and love them. Even if they, they can't see, maybe that person's in the wrong. I feel like Sam probably is, and I love him anyways, guys. Just kidding, Sam. He says, love those, especially those who are of the household of faith. Why did not this man ask for more from Peter and John? He was not looking at them. He was looking at their feet because he didn't know the capability that God's people had. Peter, instead of turning his eyes from him, as many do from objects of charity, turned his eyes to him. He fastened his eyes upon him that his eyes might affect his heart with compassion towards him. John did so too, for they they were both guided by one of the same spirit and, and concurred in this miracle. They said, look on us. Our eyes must be ever towards the Lord, the eye of our mind. And in token of this, the eye of the body may properly be fixed on those whom we employ as the ministers of his grace. Peter must have looked at those beautiful gates decked with silver and gold and saw the beauty in them and then looked at this poor man down there and had compassion on him. Finally, we see the miracle, the wonder. I love this part. Look at verse 7 of our, of our text. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was, it was he that sat at the alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto, uh, unto him. 
And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them to the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though our, by our own power and holiness we had made this man walk? He says, guys, don't praise me. Don't look at me. I am a fellow servant just like you. You know what I loved about it? This guy was healed. It didn't take a couple of weeks for him to get some strength. No, it was like, boom, immediately he got, a, he got, he got strength in his legs. It said he was walking around praising God. And I'm going, hallelujah. I, look, I, I, can, I, can, I can walk. And he's like running to the temple and showing everybody. They're like, who is this crazy guy? Is that the dude that sat outside the gate? Look at his legs. What, what happened? And it said the guy ran up and Peter and John, he, got, he was hugging him and had his arms around him. He was so excited because he was healed. Isn't it funny how when a Christian gets saved, they're so excited. They're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. Hey, we need to go out. We got to go witnessing, guys. And he runs in the church. He's excited. He said, I'm saved. I'm healed. I'm good. Let's go do something. And the church goes, nah. Oh, don't worry. That'll wear off. Don't we? Oh, he's just, he's got that new salvation. It'll go away. Some of the worst encouraging people for a newborn Christian are older Christians. I've seen it all my life. This man was excited. He had experienced something that nobody else had experienced. He knew the love of God because God had mercy on him. Look with me over at Luke chapter 7. God was teaching the disciples something here about the love of God. Luke chapter 7 and verse number 40. Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have something I want to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the, the, the woman, and he said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with her, her hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou did not, did not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with, with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sin, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is given, the same loveth little. Do we love much, church? Have we experienced that love? Do we think about what God does for us every day? He deserves, to, he deserves to be worshipped. He deserves our love. I believe that we have come to a place in our country where we feel like we don't need God because we have everything. You look over in those third world countries and you see all these people love God. You see them coming, you see them crying because they got a Bible, because they got a place to worship. 
God's just something that we do in our spare time. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. This man loved much. He was excited because God had done something in his life. And he was excited about it. God wants to do something in your life too, church. He wants us to have the compassion that Peter and John and the early church did. He wants to see us going out and having compassion on those. It might not be a lame man. It could just be a person in the grocery store. But we need to love like Jesus loved, like Peter and John loved. And we need to deliver that gospel to a lost and dying world. We need to be praying for revival in this country, in this city, in this state, in this church. We need to come together. The Bible says we're fewer gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of thee. God, I believe God's here with us today. We need to begin praying for each other and loving one another and loving those that are the unloved, that are out there that, that's, that's hard to love, the charitable ones, and go and give them the gospel that they too can have that hope that is in us. Will you do something with me? Will you pray with me today? Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It breaks my heart for our country. It breaks my heart for my city. Since I first started preaching... I believe that God was going to see my city come to Jesus. And I believe he still can, church. We just need to pray and seek the Lord's face. I'm going to pray as the, the praise team's here. Once I'm done praying, the altar's going to be open, and I, I invite you to come, and let's pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to preach, God. I'm unworthy. I know, God, that you can do something great in our country today. And, God, I believe that you can do something great in this church. I pray, Father, if there's anybody holding back, maybe they're under conviction, God, because they know that they're not saved and they don't know where they're going to spend their eternity, that today, God, they would take that step out and see that you have not given us the spirit of fear, that they would come down to this altar, Lord, and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, for your people, God, who are called by your name, that we will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face. Do a great work in this invitation, Lord. I love you and I thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Altar's open. I invite you to come.